if we can get to where we can start having some level of appreciation for our body, I think that's kind of where we can start shifting our relationship with ourselves. So even if it's like, yeah, like my hands allow me to pet my dog, that feels amazing, right? Um, my tongue lets me experience how awesome hot wings taste, <laughs> you know, being able to even just like feel the wind on your face or the warm shower water running down your back can feel really amazing. And just start noticing all of the positive experiences that your body lets you have can be a really big turning point for people. That was from my conversation exploring the walk of life with anti-diet health coach, Leah Horton. Leah found herself in an endless cycle of worry and pressure about her exercise routines, her diet, and her body image, which was leading to serious negative mental health outcomes. Determined to find a better way for herself, Leah decided to understand and redefine what being healthy meant to her. Leah now holds four coaching certifications and works to help others learn to reconnect with themselves and reclaim their sense of harmony with their body. Leah is truly inspiring. I'm so happy I got to have this conversation with her. As always, thank you to Misha Zarens for the music in today's show. Welcome to the Walk Show Podcast, Leah Horton. Thank you so much for joining. How are you doing this evening? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. Um, so, Leah, you have the title, which I have to say, I, I absolutely love this title, um, the Anti-Diet Health Coach, uh, which is uh, on the surface, maybe oxymoronic sounding, um, but I think it's actually really thoughtful. And you you, you have a, a website, chirpcoaching.com. Um, so I want to talk about that. But, but I'm just curious, how did you arrive at Anti-Diet Health Coach? Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of us kind of... Uh come up with our inspiration from our own life journey, right? And I am a woman that has struggled with weight management and uh, chronic over-exercising, dieting, like everything I have done it. And, um, you know, it really took a toll on my mental health. And so when I uh, embarked on becoming a health coach, it was really important to me to redefine what health really means. You know, I think our brains immediately go to diet and exercise, like that's what makes you healthy. And there's, you know, a a huge amount of research coming out that those are actually not the most important factors in dictating what our health is. And so um, I have kind of a personal mission to help um, eradicate our lives of diet culture and really encouraging women to define what health means to them and doing it in a way that feels really sustainable. Uh, you know, diets, 95 to 98% of all diets fail, period. I mean, that that's that's the reality of the situation. And so why do we keep trying to do something that doesn't work and doesn't get us the results that we're looking for? So um, yeah, and taking just a more holistic approach to how we view our health. Yeah. Yeah. So my mom actually was a, um, a registered pediatric dietitian my, for 20 something years. And yeah, that was a sentiment that she had from very early on in my childhood was that diets are not are not good ideas <laughs> and that mm -hmm. it's, it's a lot less about having some really strict 
um, you know, prescription for lack of a better way to say it. And instead it's more of a, a lifestyle kind of thing. Right. Um, so it's a sentiment that I've heard for a long time, but honestly, most of the time, if I ever shared that with anyone, they would just kind of look at me like I was crazy. Like, what do you mean diets aren't good? And, and your dietitian mother thinks that like, that doesn't make sense. And it's like, I don't know. I think that there's probably some, some part of it that comes from a good place, but in a lot of ways, the whole diet culture thing is a, it's a, it's a product sales thing, <laughs> not a, I care about you thing. Kind of like social media doesn't exist so that we can share photos. It exists so that they can sell ads, exactly. right? <laughs> yep, exactly. Follow the money and it pretty much explains everything. Um, the weight loss, um, health, beauty industry combined are like, I think the last number I saw was like $280 billion industry. <laughs> Crazy. Like, that's it. That's right. That's your answer um, about why it's so prevalent. And, you know, I think sometimes it is with the best intentions. Uh, when we think about nutrition and health, it's actually, nutrition's a very young science and we're still mm -hmm. learning a lot about, there's a lot we don't know about nutrition and how things work. And, um, you know, that's, we made decisions, <laughs> you know, doctors promoted things with the information that they had at the time, but information has evolved and we've learned a lot more. And so now we know that, diets ultimately result in weight gain. They're actually the number mm. one indicator of gaining weight is if you've dieted, um, mm. which is crazy. <laughs> um, yeah. But, you know, and it takes a long time for new information and new science to come out and trickle down into the, the common physician office. Um, you know, I think I read something that was like 17 years from a science, scientific study to it actually getting down to like a practicing physician. Um, right. And so, you know, a lot of the principles that I use is based in intuitive eating, um, which we can talk a little bit more about, but that was created by two dietitians in the nineties that were realizing like, oh, everything I learned in school is not working. Like I'm not actually helping my clients. They're not getting better. Like they're, they're still mm -hmm. really struggling. And if they do lose weight, it's at the expense of their mental health. And so they created the intuitive eating principles. Um, and it was kind of backed in like the ideas of some research and personal experience. But this was now, you know, 25, 30 years ago. And now since the book came out, there's been all of these scientific studies. People are like, okay, yeah, let's like actually do research on this. And so now we get to say that it's actually scientifically, scientifically backed that intuitive eating works and it's healthier for people in the long run than any prescriptive diet would be. So, yeah. So I, I, I am very interested to hear um, more about intuitive eating, but I actually have a question from one of the first things you said, which is that you yourself had kind of embarked on this journey of understanding what health really means. Can you kind of help explain what your definition of that is? Yeah. Um, so, you know, I take a very holistic approach at health. You know, I, like I said earlier, like most of the time our brain goes to like a diet and exercise and like in that people think weight, right? Like how much you weigh, like how, what does that translate to on the BMI chart at your doctor's office? And if you're in the healthy weight category, then you're healthy, but that's not true, right? Because people can be in a healthy weight category and still be very unhealthy. Like, would you say somebody that is currently fighting cancer, would you say that they're healthy? Um, if somebody has um, an eating disorder and 
but they're still the normal or underweight category. Like, are they healthy? And the answer is no. And on the flip side, somebody can be overweight um, on based on the BMI chart and be perfectly healthy, meaning like their blood pressure is fine. Their cholesterol looks great. You know, everything that we kind of use when we go to the doctor's office, they can go run a half marathon or whatever. Like by all accounts, they are healthy mentally, um, I think is a big component of that feeling, you know, physically well is also another piece of that. Um, but health is really going to look different for everyone. And um, yeah, I don't know if that answers <laughs> your no, question. No, it does. No, it doesn't. And what it, I mean, kind of what it takes me to is um, I've had a lot of conversations about, you know, for lack of a better way to say it, the pursuit of happiness, right? And and there's a lot of there's a lot of conversation around happiness as like a destination, as like a thing you achieve. But when you really kind of start thinking about it, and, and at least again, at least in the conversations I've had, it, that's not really what it is. It's more of like it's a state of being, right? And like you you you're happy through time, not in a single moment of time. Okay. And is that is that same logic of what I just said makes any sense <laughs> applicable yeah. to health as well? Where it's not you just eventually become healthy and now that's a static truth. And instead that's a life. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's always evolving. It's a journey. There is no finish line. And that's one of the problems with diets is that people think, okay, I lose this weight and now all of a sudden I'm healthy. And then they stop doing all the things that <laughs> the diet had. And then now they're like even less healthy because they've now gained the weight back or, um, you're dealing with disordered eating habits and, um, you know, we, we like skip social occasions um, because we're afraid of food or whatever. And um, that has a negative impact on us. And so, yeah, health is always evolving um, and always changing. You know, I, I, my idea of health today looks very different than it did three years ago. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I had hip surgery. And so you have to like be act different with your body and how you respect your body. I'm a lot kinder to it now. Um, and I actually feel like I'm healthier now, even though I've you know gone through some of this stuff um, just because of my relationship with my body. And I think that's what it is. It's a relationship. It's you're in constant communication and bodies are going to change. Health is going to change. We're all going to age, whether we like it or not. Um, you know, having babies and um, yeah, it all, it all impacts it. So it's definitely not a, a static pinpoint that like a box that you can check. Yes, today I am healthy or nope, today I am not. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. So yeah, so then to, to go back to the, the next thing you'd kind of mentioned there, um, I, I personally have never heard of, uh, I, I'm familiar with the word intuitive and I'm familiar with the word eating, but I've not <laughs> combined them <laughs> into a common phrase. So what is that? What does that mean? Yeah. So as I mentioned, it is a way of eating that was de designed by two dietitians. Um, and basically, it's kind of exactly what you would think it is. It's using your intuition to make food choices. And that means like being able to actually connect with what your body is telling you it needs, you know, listening for your hunger signals and noticing fullness cues and noticing what's the difference between like emotional hunger and physical hunger, right? Um, having respect for our body, using like gentle nutrition principles to make sure that we are making decisions that support ourselves and our goals and our body. Um, 
rejecting diet culture, right? There's, they have 10 principles that they've created. And the idea is that we were all born intuitive eaters, right? If you like have a toddler, they are pretty good at like knowing what they want to eat, what they don't want to eat, how much to eat. They know when to stop eating. Like now they're like, no, I'm full. Like, and there's no way you can get that kid <laughs> to eat another bite. <laughs> and what happens is as we grow up, we start getting these messages, whether they're intentional or not, that we should be eating a different way, right? Um, things like you can't leave the, you can't have dessert until your plate's clear. That is now sending a mixed message to a kid of like, oh, I can't trust my own fullness signals. There's food on my plate. I need to eat everything on my plate, right? Mm. And while, you know, the parent is probably very well-meaning, <laughs> they like, just they want you to make sure that you're getting enough food and that like, you're eating your vegetables. Um, that still causes us to start thinking about things differently. And then, of course, as we get older, we get more into diet culture and you get bombarded with all of the images of what you, uh, you know, think you should be looking like and um everything in and over the years it's evolved like sometimes it's like oh everything needs to be fat-free sugar-free and then now we're like back into like atkins and keto of like no you need to like eat a lot of like fat and protein and that's the thing and um you get all these messages even like just going down the grocery store you can't look at a product that doesn't have some some label on it of like this is healthy, this is organic, or this is keto, or this is, you know, sugar-free, low-fat, whatever. Uh, but all of those things play a role in our food choices. And so intuitive eating is really learning how to shut all that out, quiet that noise, connect with what your body actually needs, because your body is very good at telling you those things. We're just not very good at listening. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I remember in the 90s, um, cholesterol, which... I not that, that I don't know if that's when it, the first time it became a big talking point, but like everything in the grocery store got a label of like cholesterol free, mm -hmm. but it's stuff that just clearly doesn't like sear like Cheerios. It's like cholesterol free. And it's like, yeah, that's because it does. I mean, nothing that it's made of has cholesterol as a possible choice. But so to your point, it just, the, yeah, the, the labeling is, is pretty nuts. Mm -hmm. um, so, I, you know, something you mentioned is, you know, the, the image that we think we're supposed to have the, the, the awful should word. <laughs> um, and it's so interesting, you know, pre modern internet, which that's been around for a long time now, but whatever, <laughs> 15, 20 years ago, um, the, you primarily saw that, um, marketed version of what a person is supposed to look like, like on magazine covers and that sort of stuff. Right. Baywatch, Victoria's yeah. Secret models. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Yeah. And now with social media being as prevalent as it is, it, it's so interesting because I can go on Instagram and I can see someone like yourself who's promoting this ideology. And then I can also go and see what is now the modern version of the Victoria's Secret model, you know, cover girl kind of thing, right? And not that it's exclusive to women either. I mean, there's a whole side of it for both genders. Absolutely. Um, but so I guess what's, it's also interesting to me though, like I've seen posts lately and I don't know, I don't know how Instagram knows that I would think they were interesting, but it'll be a post where it's like a side-by-side -side where it's a, a fitness influencer or whatever, and they will show a picture of themselves and they'll say, and it's two side-by-side -side photos. And one of them is them posing 
And so they have this very chiseled formed look. And then the next picture, they're like, this is the same day, the same moment in time. And I'm not posing. And they look way more normal for, you know, <laughs> however you want to say that. And, and then I've also seen these posts lately where it'll show a person's face and they're talking and they're like, you think this is what my face looks like, but it's not like I'm using these filters and then they turn the filters off and they look very different. So I guess my point is that like, it's interesting because in the social media world, we feel like we're seeing real people more, but we might actually be seeing more manufactured stuff than we did in the magazine era. Does that make any sense? That Absolutely. whole rant? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, technology has come so far, you know, and, and you think about even just like Photoshop um, and mm -hmm. things like back in the day, they had some methods for kind of doctoring up pictures and things, but uh, and you know, like really good lighting <laughs> and things. But <laughs> now everybody has technology at their fingertips to alter what they look like. And it does like give me a lot of concern for our youth um, of what, you know, what, how this is going to ultimately impact them um, because it is really setting unrealistic expectations for what people should look like. Um, it's, it's wild. <laughs> right. Right. So I, I'm curious then, you know, um, you've talked about, you know, learning to, to, to love your, your body in whatever state you're in kind of thing. Right. How, how does that look though? Like how does a person who is unhappy with how they look or unhappy with their body, how does that transformation? And again, I don't mean to, for you to deliver a whole coaching session here or something. I know this is your whole work, but where does it start even? How, how does a person start on that process? Yeah. I mean, it, it's a huge process, you know, and it's, you know, we didn't get to where we are, overnight. And so we aren't going to be able to just undo it overnight, obviously. Um, but there are definitely some things that you can do. And actually, like one really good tip related to kind of this idea of like social media and like the images that we're seeing is, <laughs> I call it the visual consumption diet of starting to curate our feeds to be supportive of like, diversity in body types. So, um, and like hide the people that make you feel like crap about yourself um, and start el eliminating that as much as you can. Obviously we can't eliminate it all, but then add diversity to your feeds. Find people that have the same body shape that you do that look like they're out there loving themselves. Um, I like to say like follow Lizzo. I mean, she is just a goddess of body positivity for herself um, and, and really just diversify what we're seeing because, you know, the way that advertising and everything works and algorithms, all that is that you get a very curated um, view of the world. And so just by widening your view and seeing like, oh, there are people out there that look like me can be just a huge step of itself. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I really like to start clients with is starting to have just a gratitude practice of mm. like acknowledging what your body does do for you. And because, you know, we, we are in this world where it's like cool to hate your body <laughs> and to want to change it all the time. But if we can get to where we can start having some level of appreciation for our body, I think that's kind of where we can start shifting our relationship with ourselves. So even if it's like 
yeah, like my hands allow me to pet my dog. That feels amazing, right? Um, my tongue lets me experience how awesome hot wings taste. <laughs> you yeah. know, being able to even just like feel the wind on your face or the warm shower water running down your back can feel really amazing. And just start noticing all of the positive experiences that your body lets you have can be mm. a really big turning point for people. Hmm. That's a really interesting. I mean, it's, it's, it's mindfulness to some extent is what mm -hmm. you're describing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but so it's funny, like I went to, I, I went to a yoga class. Uh, I mean, I went for a couple of months <laughs> for whatever duration I had signed up for. It didn't feel, um, it, it felt kind of silly, I guess, for lack of a better term, not yoga to be clear, just me in the particular studio that I was in. It felt kind of pretentious, I guess. Um, but yeah, like I always struggled so much when they would be like, okay, now feel your little toe. <laughs> now, now feel the top of your foot. It's like, I don't, I don't understand how to do this. But what you just described makes a lot more sense because the truth is in that moment, my little toe's not doing anything. It's just hanging out in the sock or whatever. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> there's not really a, a, an experience that I'm having there. So it's hard for me to understand what I'm supposed to be tapping into but the examples that you gave are very tangible. Um, so that, yeah, that's really, that's really fascinating. Yeah. And we live in like, just like a hustle culture, right? We're all, we're busy going, going, going. And so I think that mindfulness helps bring us into the present moment. We're often thinking in the future of like, what are all the things I have to be doing or what's coming up or we're reliving the past and we're not just in our moment with our bodies. We're so disconnected from our bodies, which is why it's hard to be like, what is my pinky toe doing right now? <laughs> um, and you know, that's what like the core tenant of intuitive eating is to reconnect to your body um, because we're so disconnected. We think we need to be um, consuming all the time, you know, media, like we're always on our phones, we're always um, doing something, working, whatever. When's the last time we like actually just sat with ourselves for five minutes with nothing? Right. <laughs> like even yeah. when we're waiting at the doctor's office, we're on our phone or waiting in line at the grocery store, I'll still check my phone, right? Um, yep. And so, yeah, that mindfulness piece is um, really big. And I do have like some meditations I run through with clients and things to help them um, just get more in touch with their, their body. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. I do also, it's probably unnecessary, but I do want to clarify when I said that the yoga class was pretentious, I was the odd person out there. Like those people were great and what they're doing. It, it, it probably works for me too. I just wasn't in the right frame of mind at that time. So I don't mean to sound critical of mindfulness or meditation or yoga. I, I think all those things are great. Um, just at that moment in time, I was not in the right space. <laughs> well, and it could just be like, it's not the right instructor or the right studio or whatever, you know, it's yeah. like, you've got to try things out to catch your vibe. And even within yoga, there are so many different types of practices that yeah. there's been classes that I'm like, I, this is not for me. <laughs> and then other ones yeah. that I'm like, okay, I'm in love. This is awesome. This is totally my jam. Um, and I did get started with it doing more of like power vinyasa flow stuff that is more, um, I would say kind of on the athletic side of yoga more than yeah. the mindfulness stuff, but it did kind of ease me into getting into more of the gentle mindful practices that yoga does have to offer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was just, we're in a scenario where it's like a this really well-decorated room and everyone's super calm and peaceful all the time. You look outside and there's this beautiful forest scene. 
and I know what I've just described sounds incredible and it is, but it felt like I was like playing a part on a TV mm -hmm. show or something. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. it felt like I had imposter syndrome, I guess is what I'm describing. <laughs> sounds <laughs> like it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, either way, I don't mean to go on and on about my yoga experience. Um, so yeah, you know, I was looking at your, your, uh, your website and, um, one of the FAQs that you have is, uh, and, and there are, there are many, but one of them that stood out to me is what problems do you solve? And the answer begins with an emphatic none with an exclamation point. And then you go on to describe that you help people identify their own problems. And mm -hmm. so it's not that you don't offer help, but I, I think that that's an awesome, an awesome FAQ to have. And, and the reason I wanted to highlight it is because I think when it comes to coaching and counseling, um, there is a, a sentiment that people have, especially if they've never really engaged with it, where the coach, the counselor is the answer giver, right? They're the one that they're the guru. Mm -hmm. And that's not really what the practice looks like at all. So can you talk about that at all? If what I said resonates? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, you know, and I do say like, I'm like probably like 20% teacher of like, I'm, I'll just tell you kind of what to do. I'll teach you about the intuitive eating principles and then 80% guide. <laughs> um, and it's really because I am not in a place to tell you what works best for you. I want to empower you to be your own best expert. I want you to um, learn what's going to work for you and what isn't. You know, it's like I could, I think a lot of people, when they think of a health coach, they think, okay, they're going to give me an eating plan and a workout plan. And um, I don't do that because there is no one size fits all approach. And what mm -hmm. works for me probably isn't going to work for you. Like, I don't know what your lifestyle is like. I don't know what your food preferences are. And so... <laughs> Sometimes people get frustrated. I just don't tell them what to do, but I can ask. I have lots of tools um, to help create kind of some guidelines. Um, I think the thing that really freaks people out is especially when they're coming from this diet world, weight loss world, is they find comfort in having rules and structure. Uh, you know, like a diet will tell you like how much you should be eating, what you should be eating, when you should be eating. And they think that it's like this magic formula. Like, okay, if I do steps one, two, three, four, five, I will get the result I want. And the reality of like intuitive eating, the work that I do is that there is, there are no rules. <laughs> it is um, all individual and you get to decide what works for you. And it's kind of scary at first to think about that and to learn to trust your body again when, you know, you think that it's quote unquote failed you for so long. Um, right. It's really the, the feeling that most of the people I work with have. Yeah. Yeah. The, the way I've tried to kind of describe it to people, because, um, again, I've worked with a coach now for, for a couple of years and I've on different occasions uh, worked with psychologists, you know, personally and things like that. And and it's it, it's really the, the again, the coach or the counselor and not that they're identical roles, but but I think there is some similarity there. Um, it's like they're not actually really there to help you to help give you answers, they're really there to help you ask questions, right? Like they teach you how to ask the right questions and then you can develop your own answers, mm -hmm. uh, which is a far more empowering thing than just here's a static set of answers that <laughs> may not work later. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. And it's, um, so I, I'm a Peloton user and there's an instructor, Dennis Morton, and he has a saying that he says all the time of, I make suggestions, you make decisions. 
And I love that. And sometimes my role as a coach is to make suggestions and I'll, I'll provide you with examples of things that maybe have worked for other people, work for me, and then you can decide to take them or leave them. And I love that because it does like you, you use the word empowering. That's exactly what we're doing is we're empowering you to be in control of your life and what works for you. The problem with following somebody else's plan is that it's not sustainable and it's not for you and it's not actually teaching you anything about yourself, right? right. Um, whereas going through this kind of journey, you actually learn a lot about yourself. And, you know, I work with clients like three months or six months is kind of my standard program. And we talk about the intuitive eating principles and food stuff for maybe like the first month. And then we kind of touch in on them, but the rest is all mindset work. I'm curious how central are habits to to this? Like how important is the psychology versus just simply modifying the behavior, which then modifies the habits of the routines? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. So there's basically three levels of change work that have to happen. And the first level is behavior change. And so that's where like habits come into play. It's like just the things that you're doing in your life, um, you know, and, that, and then there, that's because like 95% of everything that you do in a day is habit driven. Like, right. You know, making yourself a cup of coffee in the morning. You don't have to like think about like, okay, now I'm going to like pull the coffee pot out of the, it's all habit based. Um, and so there is, we, we start with just the habit work of like looking at, okay, how are you eating and how are you, you know, moving your body and in ways that work for you um, and kind of doing that, that real habit work. And then the next level of change is um, your belief change. And so that's like your thought work. Um, and it's where you start shifting how you view the world and how you view yourself. And then the last level of change is identity change. And that's like where you're really changing like who you are as a person. Mm -hmm. And I think that you have to do all three kind of in that order for it to really work. Um, and stick. You know, my goal is to have this be lasting change for you. And a lot of people can nail the habit piece, you know, and it's usually temporary because they haven't done the work on changing the underlying beliefs that they have about themselves mm. and, and changing like who they are as a person. And that's what you have to be willing to do is you have to be willing to believe differently and um, to have different thoughts about yourself and to identify as a different person than you are today. And that's hard because most of us are pretty connected to our identities and we're not really like ready to just change them, but it's a critical step in the process. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, when, when it comes to talking about habits and, and routines, I think that at least for me, when I think of that, the most common examples of that are, are like what you said, it's, it's physical actions, right? It's, it's making coffee, brushing your teeth, wh whatever it is. But I think that there's also like a habit or a routine of thought mm -hmm. that we can have. Um, can you speak to that at all? Is that something that you work on with people is 
the routine or habits of thought that they have beyond just actions? Yeah, absolutely. We definitely talk about that. Um, you know, it's like you, you've got these channels in your brain, these neural pathways that have been developed. They're like these super highways of thoughts that just happen and you really don't have any control over them. But what we do have control over is whether we choose to believe that thought or not. <laughs> and we can decide to have a different second thought. Mm. Um, and so it's about building that awareness of, okay, I'm having this thought. Do I want to believe this thought? Is this thought serving me? And if it's not, what do I want to think instead? And that's kind of where you get up into that sort of belief change piece, mm. but it is definitely habit-based. <laughs> um, and you can start noticing, we, we like to look for patterns. Like, are, is there a thought that usually comes up at like a certain time of day or a certain situation, you know, especially when we talk about like emotional eating, like, is there like a high stress thing that your, your brain is going <laughs> into a certain um, habit to deal with? Or is there a person in your life? Like every time you like see this person, you start having a thought that isn't working for you. Um, and so we do definitely work on identifying that and, and starting to tweak that. Um, but it's, it's harder than just changing a, a basic behavior. <laughs> Yeah, well, and I think what the, what this this conversation makes me think of is um, so I used to smoke cigarettes um, mm -hmm. and quit several years ago now, but it used to be that anytime I was at a gas station or a grocery store or anywhere that they sell cigarettes, when I'm in line, even before I had quit, when I was telling myself I should quit or you know whatever. It was like, as soon as I got in that line, I, I, I'm overwhelmed by these thoughts of like, well, I, I you know, I'm going to have, have to buy some now. I'm here. There they are. I want them, blah, 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 whatever the thoughts are. And, and so now that I am free of that <laughs> habit, um, there's a lot of benefits to quitting smoking, obviously. There's the cost, the, the smell. Clearly, the health benefits are probably the most important thing. But I think, honestly, the thing that's maybe been the most rewarding to me that I didn't expect out of it is honestly just the freedom of now when I'm at the grocery store, like, I don't have to wrestle with that. Like, I don't think about it, you know? Like, the non-smoker does not think about the fact that they're selling cigarettes, right? And and, the, and so the reason I bring that example up is because I think that's what you're kind of speaking to is it's like, there's all these benefits for being healthy, but there's also just this, like, mental weight that gets to go away when you're not constantly obsessed with like, is everything okay? Yeah. <laughs> like, is this food okay? Does this have the right label? Yes. Um, and I think that that's harder for people to understand. Like, again, I didn't anticipate that at all. And that's, again, probably the thing that I like the most about quitting smoking. Mm -hmm. Maybe not, but <laughs> pretty high up there. <laughs> yeah, it is. And it's exactly the same for diet brain, right? Of, you know, mm -hmm. I think about how much time and energy I spent on counting calories and counting macros and reading labels and researching recipes. And um, I was even on um, like a, a forum for people that a weight loss forum and chatted and I made some really awesome friends that we're still friends to this day. And we all laugh about how I ended up here being an anti-diet health coach. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it is so freeing. And I, I even like to say like, I could not be where I am today if I was still dieting, I could not be an entrepreneur. I could not um, be like 
successful, right? Like, because I spent so much time and energy in the world of diet, exercise, trying to change my body, constantly thinking about my body um, mm-hmm. and, and how it was failing me, mapping out training <laughs> schedules, like everything that I did. Um, now that I think about it, I'm like, that's exhausting. Like, no wonder I was so miserable. And so a lot of the work that I do with people coming in is like helping them create a vision of what gets to be possible for them. If mm-hmm. that's a moot point, like if that's not even a thing, and it's so hard for them to even conceptualize because it's so deep seated in their history <laughs> of like, what do you mean? Like, I don't have to like weigh myself and I don't have to <laughs> be constantly thinking about like my next meal. And I mean, and that's the thing is like when you're dieting, you're actively kind of restricting your intake. And when you're restricting your intake, all your brain is doing is thinking about all the things it can't have. <laughs> right, right. So, yeah. So I'm curious, you know, something that we've touched on a, a, kind of in a couple different ways, but, um, you know, you talked about how when you're going to be, when a person's looking at changing identity, like that's, that's challenging. And a big part of the reason that's challenging is because it's kind of scary, right? Cause you're comfortable with who you are, even if all of those parts aren't, aren't comfortable. It's the devil, you know, kind of thing. Right. Exactly. Um, but, but so there's a, there's an element of fear there that has to be faced. And then, you know, you yourself, uh, you know, had a career in, in finance and then you a few years ago move over to this and that's not an easy change to walk away from a career that you've probably worked really hard to establish and then now to go into entrepreneurship. So I'm curious, how do you, you know, how do you personally think about fear and how do you talk to your clients about dealing with fear? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think what's really interesting to think about, and we're going to get back into like a little bit of like mindfulness practice here is that like, if you think about fear in your body, like, what does that feel like? Like, I kind of get like a little bit of tummy flip flopping a little bit of maybe like anxiety in my chest, you know, kind of just a little amped up. And then set that aside and think about something exciting the feeling is almost identical, (laughs) Mm, (laughs) which is really interesting. Um, And Mm. so I always think that that kind of takes the edge off of fear, right? If you can just notice that fear and excitement are pretty close. Um, And then Mm. the other piece of that is just acknowledge what's the positive intent behind that fear. And that fear is your brain wanting to keep you safe. That's all it is. there there's some threat (laughs) whether it's real or perceived there is a threat and it's wanting to keep you safe and protected and you can like thank that part of your brain like thank you i see what you're doing but like we're actually good right Right. there's not a lion chasing me (laughs) i'm not you know i'm not in danger um and obviously you want to be smart about things you don't want to really be reckless i i quit my job um, after making sure I had plenty of money in the bank, uh, emergency fund, and some already working. I did this part-time while I was doing my job. So you have to be like strategic about it. Um, But ultimately, like, I just didn't, don't want to live in the wondering what could have been, like what, what, what that, what I'm missing out on by not doing something. Um, and really it comes down to like, 
the fear that we build up in our head is always bigger than what would actually happen. <laughs> right. You know, I like create these visions of um, ending up homeless. Right. And then it's like, okay, that wouldn't really happen. My mom would let me live in her basement if I had to. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. still not fun, but not the end of the world. <laughs> right. 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 Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so is there, this is kind of a silly question, but you know, there are so many fad diets. We've talked about a couple of, you know, keto and Atkins and those kinds of things. Um, I remember in the, when I was a kid, my dad telling me about a coworker of his who went on what he called the cabbage soup diet, where he literally just ate cabbage soup. And within a couple of weeks, like his eyes were yellowed from jaundice. I mean, it was horribly unhealthy. So clearly I, I wouldn't count that as a real diet. I mean, technically any pattern of eating is a diet, I guess. Mm -hmm. But so anyway, so outside of the crazy examples like cabbage soup, <laughs> is there any fad diet or, or popular diet that you have a greater dislike for than the rest? <laughs> Again, kind of a silly question, but is there anyone that stands out that you're like, that's more insidious than the other? You others? know, the thing that the, the ones that tick me off the most are the ones that are parading themselves as we're not a diet. Um, like uh. Noom and Weight Watchers, um, they have really leaned, like if you do a search for intuitive eating, a Noom ad will come up, Yeah, at least when I search on my browser, and um, it'll say like, learn how to intuitive, you know, connect intuitively to your body, whatever, then the psychology involved. And it's a load of crap. Um, it's still basically calorie counting. There's still foods that are, um, you know, I think they use like red, green, yellow, like for like, ranking foods. And, you know, I've had multiple people say like, oh yeah, it told me to eat like 1200 calories. And that's like not enough food for like a toddler. <laughs> so right. it's, it's those ones that really get me that people think, oh, but no, this is really, this isn't a diet or in, intermittent fasting, right? It's not a diet. It's like, mm kind of is. Anytime <laughs> that you are trying to go against your body's like natural hunger and fullness cues with mm. the intention, going any way of eating with the outset of intentional weight loss is a diet. <laughs> mm. Yeah, no, that's super interesting. So I, all, I, I had tried Noom um, probably about a year ago. And at first I was super impressed with it because you know, through the, this podcast and a lot of the people I've interviewed and, and just books I've read in the last few years, like, you know, I've read about cognitive behavioral therapy and I think that's a really fascinating idea. And that's what they, that's what they say it all is, but you're a hundred percent correct that in the end, it's still kind of just like my fitness pal or something where you're like entering calories, tracking your exercise, um, Probably the, the only thing that was different that they offered uh, from anything else I've seen is they they talked about caloric density in foods, which was an idea I hadn't heard before. But I mean, that's only so much. It's, it's basically just does food have a lot of water in it or not is mm -hmm. kind of what it comes down to. So like that was interesting. But yeah, but after, you know, a short time, it it it, it didn't feel like cognitive behavioral therapy. It felt like like another, another diet app. Right. Um, so it's super interesting to hear you mention that because I was curious what, what your thoughts on it were, if it aligned with what you're doing, but it sounds like, no, <laughs> it's no. The, uh, 
<laughs> it doesn't. I mean, there there are ideas, and it's probably like the lesser of some evils. But it's better than cabbage soup diet. <laughs> it is better than cabbage soup diet, but it's still a diet, and right. it just makes me really sad for the people that you know sign up for it, thinking it's intuitive eating, and that they're really going to be creating lifelong sustainable eating habits and it's really still just setting them up for the same failures that any other diet would. Um, and yes, it's great that there's some psychology involved. There's some behavior change. You get, you know, coach to kind of help you along. Mm. Um, but still a diet. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and, and it, you know, I think something that's interesting um, about that is, so you're right. They do assign you a coach and I don't mean to disparage those individuals. I'm sure that they're hardworking and have all the best intentions, but it's, you know, I work with, again, I work with a, a life coach one-on-one -on -one, and that's a very involved, very deeply personal exchange of information. Right. And it's, it, and with like the Noom coach, for example, and I, I'm not trying to just bash Noom here, but the, the, either way, it's a very brief interaction and it's not really all that involved because they probably have, you know, dozens, if not hundreds of clients or whatever that they have to check in with every so often. Right. And so the, the reason I bring all this up though, is that, um, I think that also a person can have an experience like that and go, Oh, well, coaching doesn't work because I had a coach when I signed up for Noom and it didn't resonate with me. And so that's not for me. And that's also not accurate. Right. So I, the reason I bring that up, I guess, is just to say that, like, I think it's important for people to also understand that just because you tried something that called itself a coach or that called itself cognitive behavioral therapy, right? Like that might not be the only way that that could be delivered. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Well, and when I first got certified as a health coach, um, I noticed I had to really explain myself because uh, Beachbody, which is a, a multi-level marketing company, um, calls their people, their um they sell supplements and things. They call them okay. health coaches. And there's no like certification involved. Coaching is an unregulated industry. So you, yeah. anybody can call themselves a coach. Um, but I had to say like, no, I am not like, I don't have products I sell. This is coaching. I'm certified. I now have four different certifications. I've spent hundreds of hours on working on this. It's through a reputable company that is accredited by an international federation for coaches like this is legit <laughs> and it's it's definitely a, a wall i have to climb with a lot of people and just separate from that like any profession there's going to be good ones and bad ones you're gonna have people of different calibers right there's terrible attorneys out there and there's awesome attorneys out there there's terrible doctors out there that don't even like pay attention to what you're doing, just write you a prescription, right? And then there's ones that are really amazing. And it is exactly the same with coaches. And so if anybody's ever considering a coach or looking for a coach, um, they definitely need to do the research on what the credentials are for that coach and interview a lot of them, right? Don't just um, blanketly say <laughs> all coaches are terrible just because you had one bad experience, right? Right, right. Yeah, well, and I just, I... Um... Like I said to you before we, we started recording this evening, you know, I, I just think that obviously we've come a long way in normalizing conversations about mental health and seeking help, whether that be in the form of therapy and counseling or whether that be in the form of, of coaching. Um, but I think that there's still a lot of stigma around it. And I think there is still a lot of people who think that 
Um, it's not maybe all it's cracked up to be. And I just, I, I couldn't disagree more. Uh, I've found such tremendous value in it for myself. And I've known other people that have had great results from it. There's a, there's a value in having a relationship with someone that's actually kind of one way, um, which might sound selfish or weird, but that when you have a coach, like you're paying that individual and that it's a one way street really like, like, so when you're talking to the coach, they're asking you about their thoughts, but I'm not ever asking my coach like, well, how was your day? Right. And it's not that I don't want to be a good person or something, but that's not the nature of the relationship. And so you can really go far on that one way street of just that coach being invested in your own thoughts versus when you're talking with a friend or someone else, you do care and you do have that reciprocal kind of nature to it. Does that make sense what I'm yeah, saying? Absolutely. I'm jerkish. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I, I agree. And I think, you know, especially like I do tend to work mostly with women and um, they don't often just have like an hour to focus on themselves every week. Um, mm -hmm. And even just the, creating that space can re be really valuable. And then yes, having a professional that comes, you know, without any judgments, without any like knowing what's like happening in your life, just being able to uh, be a mirror of like what they're seeing in you can be really, really powerful. Um, and I do, you know, I'm also a huge fan of therapy. And I think therapy and coaching work really well together, especially um, like some of my clients that have had the most success are doing both. Um, mm -hmm. But coaching is also like very um, empowered action based. Like it's like, okay, like, cool, we learned this about ourselves, <laughs> And now what are you going to go do with it? And it's right. really forward thinking, which is what drew me to coaching specifically was like, I'd been through years and years of therapy, not really feeling like I was actually getting anywhere. Like, okay, cool. I mean, now I have more self-awareness, I guess. <laughs> right. But coaches will push you to actually take action and um, get you moving. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But not, not to lose weight just <laughs> no. <laughs> no, um, not intentionally. I mean, that, right. that, there, there's an asterisk there of like, if you are, you know, new to intuitive eating, there is a chance that you will gain weight. Um, if you've been like chronically under eating and like all of this, mm -hmm. right. There's also the chance that you will lose weight if you've been dealing with like overeating for your body and all of that. And there's also a chance that your weight is going to be like exactly the same. And any of those scenarios is awesome because it's like yeah. your body doing exactly what it needs to be doing. And we're just going to trust that our body is cool with that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Um, well, Leah, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you this evening. Um, was there anything else that we didn't hit on that you'd like to to talk about? No, I think we're good. <laughs> okay. Um, well, again, you've got your website, um, chirpcoaching.com. Uh, is there anywhere else you'd like for, for listeners to, to connect with you at social media or anything like that? Yeah. The best place to find me is actually in my private Facebook group. Um, and if you go to just the uh, address of antidiethealthclub.com, it'll get you right there. And, um, it's the best way to, I have tons of free resources in there. I go live every week talking about a topic, uh, related to health, uh, health at every size, body positivity, intuitive eating, you name it. I have recipes that go up every week. Um, it's just a, a wealth of um, resources for people. Um, and I love 
making connections there. So that's the best cool. place. Okay. Well, I'll make sure and have a link to the, in the show notes, uh, to your website and to that as well, to the private Facebook group. Um, well, Leah, again, really, really humbling to have you on. Thank you so much for, for coming on and thank you so much for the work that you're doing. I think it's uh, more important than, than, yeah, than, than a lot of other things that are going on in the world. So really, really thank you. <laughs> thank you. It is absolutely needed. And I am so grateful that I have the opportunity to help people um, change their relationship with food. Down the street we came a-running In Missouri without a break Neighbors on the front porch strumming A Kool-Aid from the Dollar Tree Summer nights we were chasing With kids playing out and see Smell the brick chocolate burning A watermelon runs in dirty feet Memories of the love that you had Happy behind it Looking back, past is future's bad. Looking back, you find the key to be free. You find the key to be free. You find the key. Well, that's all for the show today. Thank you so much to Leah for stopping by and sharing her walk of life. I also want to thank Misha Zarens for the music in today's show. And last but not least, thank you, listener, for listening. I also invite you to check out my other shows, Pick Up Your Sticks, which is a video game podcast where we explore the idea of why gaming matters, or my other show, The Crowfall Podcast, which shares stories and perspectives from the MMO Crowfall. Both of those are available on any podcast app. Thanks again for the listen. Have a great week. Stay up.